Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com chapters. There you'll find over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to Chapters, the podcast where we hear the stories of readers' lives through the books that have meant the most to them. I'm Mary Mahoney, and today my guest is Jolenta Greenberg. Jolenta is a New York-based comedian. She's a Moth Story Slam winner and a sometime contributor for New York Public Radio and BBC Radio. Currently, she is co-host, along with Kristen Meinzer, of the Panoply podcast, By the Book. By the Book is a podcast reality show meets book club, where Greenberg and Meinzer live by different self-help books to see if any actually work. This is one of my favorite podcasts, and I was really excited to get to talk to Jolenta about her life as a reader. Our conversation did not disappoint. I really enjoyed learning about the role books played in Jolenta's life as an aspiring actor, comedian, and all-around pop culture savant. It was a pleasure to listen to Jolenta's account of books that helped shape her life, whether it was Katherine Hepburn's memoirs, plays like Angels in America, or the self-help books she reads with Kristen Meinzer on By the Book. This is her story. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I'm so excited to talk to you and hear about your experiences. Thank you for having me. Um, well, I'd love to just start with the first question I ask everyone, which is, what is your earliest memory of reading? And maybe you can tell me a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, does, like, being read to count? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Of course. I um, Let's see. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. And um, by the time I was probably, like, four, my mom had read me all of the, like, Little House on the Prairie, Laura Ingalls Wilder books. Um, So I just, yeah, yeah, that's, like, all, every night she would read me those, and I loved it. Was that because she thought it was important to, was that a book that was important to her, a series that was important to her, or she thought you might just like it, or what was going on with that? I don't know. I think a lot of it she was reading for the first time, too. Hmm. Um, I think. I don't even know. I feel like I should ask her. That's so, like, I never knew. Good question. <laughs> um, I think a lot of them she was reading for the first time, and she had just moved to Oregon while she was pregnant. Hmm. Um, so I think also she sort of liked the, like, going out west aspect because I think she felt like her little family did that okay it was something for us to kind of like all bond over and like go through with Laura Ingalls too I guess (laughs) so would she compare living in Portland to wherever she had come from in the same way that Laura Ingalls sort of is comparing where she's from yeah yeah both my parents are from the midwest and there was lots of lots yeah just lots of talks of like landscapes and stuff (laughs) this sounds so weird but that's what I'm remembering as a kid. Just, you know, we were always comparing our lives to hers and, like, the cities we were from and she was going to. Like, it sort of helped us, like, translate. I think helped my mom, like, translate what she was going through, like, to me in a way <laughs> that was, like, kid-friendly. Yeah, that was good. So it seems like it was helping her out at the same time it was introducing you to this other yeah, thing. Yeah. And sometimes when people have that series has come up a lot on the show and other people talk about it mm-hmm. in, in terms of like it makes them want to imagine themselves back in time and sort of pretend right. that they're living in that time. But it wasn't was it not like that for you, per se? Oh, it was totally like that for me. I don't know. Every kid in Oregon is like obsessed with like the prairie days <laughs> and the Oregon Trail, like. There, there's like a unit in school where kids just dress like pioneers for a week and go panning for gold and go to the end of the Oregon Trail Museum and make, you know, stick on a, like, stick in hoop toys. Like, there's, Oregon is kind of obsessed with that, I think. And so Little House on the Prairie, like, even though it's not necessarily in Oregon, lines up right with that hmm. genre that's, like, huge, especially for girls, I think. Hmm. So did you fit with that or no? Oh, yeah, I was super into it. I, like, ate that up. I felt like I would have, you know, kicked ass back then. 
Wow. Hmm. I don't know if I would have made it on the prairie myself. I mean, I've read the books and of course I've seen the show. Have you ever, did you ever watch the seventies show with Melissa a little Gilbert? Bit, yeah. I mean, it was rough on the prairie. I don't know if I would have made it, but right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What other books? So your mom's reading you little house. What else do you remember from those early years? From um, guys? Also around that age, which I realizing now is like pretty young. My dad read me all of the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings books. <laughs> so we were just into lots of series. Wow. That's kind of heavy to read or even be read yeah. to at a young age. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I retained the story of the Hobbit like that I could get. But the the rest of the Lord of the Rings was a little over my head. I remember my dad would get frustrated because I was I would always ask to see the map over and over again in the <laughs> in the front of the book. Because yeah. I was like, dude, I am lost. I am seven. Like, you gotta wait up. Look, I'm with you. I'm 31, and I'm still lost when I go through no, those I books. Know. Yeah. It's like Game of Thrones. All those genealogies yeah. and the characters. Fathers and the grandfathers and the yeah, it goes forever. Do you think there was a difference between when you're being read to by your mom versus being read to by your dad? Like, was there a, was it a different vibe, <laughs> different experience? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I feel like my mom and I did a lot more talking about the stories we were hmm. reading and like how I felt about it. How did she feel about it? I feel like she we, she sort of came at reading from a from a like you can find yourself in any art and like let's talk about it. And with my dad it was just like he was more into voices and crazier stories and it was just reading as like a total escape. Like, you know, we didn't analyze it. You just like went along for the ride and forgot about your life. <laughs> wow, that's a really interesting comparison. I'm wondering how that like shaped you as a person, as a reader. I know you're someone who performs, so it seems mm -hmm. like the voices and the performance piece, maybe I'm just like projecting onto you, but like maybe that, oh, <laughs> that stage. I feel like I do a little bit of both. Or like I feel like my my taste or my aesthetic very not my aesthetic varies like that's so generic to say but I do like I love things that are really obscure and like foreign and really take me out of my life but I also love those things that are that are super close to life and spur conversation mm. and I guess with my comedy I try to blend those two things together like it starts as a normal everyday story you can relate to and then it gets a little absurd and you laugh and you like forget where you are for a second yeah yeah and it seems too that on your show by the book which i love and encourage everyone to check out that there's a really strong by definition introspective piece to reading self-help books and to yeah. thinking yeah. about your life and how you might improve it or change things around so it's interesting that like from the start you kind of had those two different threads right right and i mean also <laughs> This is, this is weird, but it's just a thought that came up. But I was an only child, so I also read a lot, like, just for examples. And, like, you know, to, I feel like, learn things and expose myself to things that, like, I couldn't get just by myself with my parents. Hmm. So, like, what would that be? Like, I loved stories about siblings and also stories about like lots of like misfits or like loner <laughs> kids or like I read a lot of uh, like do you know uh, No Flying in the House mm -hmm. like yeah. that sort of those they're very weird and like very can you give surreal. a little summary for people who haven't read those that one I don't remember as well it sort of blends in with this other book for me called uh, Twig yeah. have you heard of that mm -hmm. book it's about this little girl who lives in a city, but she makes a fairy house out of a, a tin can and, like, gets shrunk down and explores this world. It's all about, I like relatable little girls, but in insane worlds, I guess. <laughs> and was that sort of when you start reading for yourself, by yourself, yeah. and you can yeah. start picking your own books and kind of shaping your own taste is that the kind of stuff that you're gravitating towards that's all i wanted there was another book called felicia about a girl who was really a cat that was really <laughs> weird and like showed up out of nowhere just lots of sort of like 
weird 70s books for girls. <laughs> That's amazing. And why do you think you were gravitating towards that stuff? I mean, partly you said that you're an only child, so to read books about yeah. siblings. I like the, the stories about, like, the girl alone having to navigate, like, a foreign uh, terrain, for sure. <laughs> also, um, I grew up in Portland, so I always had to get used books at Powell's Cities of Books, City Books, mm-hmm. plug for Powell's. Um, and so I just was only allowed a certain budget, so I just picked cheap books that had weird pictures on the front and those all happened to be these like I just think yeah weird drawings of little girls for under two (laughs) dollars that's amazing and are you reading that with any awareness of oh I'm gravitating towards this because I can relate to this or identify with this or you're just totally blind and thinking like "Hmm, I'm I'm just like these are interesting and my my parents actually just sent me all of my childhood books I'm like this is the same book with like just a different magical thing intervening like 20 times over (laughs) wow and are you using books at this time I don't know how old you are at this point but maybe like you're in grade school or something is this something you're using to connect with other kids or is this something that is just like your solitary thing I, I think it started as my solitary thing, but I'll never forget when I was in fourth grade and I heard, like, another girl across the cafeteria say something about how kissing your elbow makes you a fairy. And I was like, that's from No Flying in the House. And, we, you know, like, she was in my wedding. Like, you know, wow. we were good. So I think it started as a, like, no one gets me. And I read these on my own. But then you find that one other person who knows that janky book from the 70s that was really cheap at Powell's and like you have a friend for life yeah I mean it's really weird that reading is like by definition a solitary act sometimes and but at the same time it's something so basic that you connect with other people through um hmm so are there other books that you're reading with your friends or are you still reading seeking out these kind of misfit girls or girls who feel misunderstood kind of books how long is that, like, the main theme in your reading life? How long is that? Well, the Misfit Girls, when I when I was a tween, it graduated into, like, teenage girls dying. I was all about... I don't, like, what was I don't, going on? How, I don't know how this was a genre, but it was, like, super 90s, like, stories about teenage girls. Like, oh, there's a series. I just looked it up because I knew we were going to talk. Hold on, I need to find it. Yeah, go for it. It's about a girl who goes to, she has, it's called uh, Six Months to Live by Lurleen McDaniel. And there's a whole series. She's written like a bunch of these kinds of books. Um, Hold on, now I'm trying to make the Skype window come back. There we are. But yeah, it was about this girl who's diagnosed with terminal cancer and she goes to a camp and makes a friend and the friend dies. But she falls in love with another guy, and he has cancer, and then they go to camp again next year, but, like, everyone has cancer. (laughs) And there was another one, and I cannot, for the life of me, figure it out. I was Googling all morning trying to see if this book was real or if it was something I imagined. But a series about teenagers running from a forest fire, but they all, like, lived in mansions in California and, like, had no supervision, but, like, there's fire everywhere. Just lots (laughs) Very trashy. Like, very trashy YA novels. Love it. I mean, I have so many questions about this, but... First of all, what's going on with you? Where you're, I mean, I know those books because I read them too. There's another series too. I don't know if it's by the same author, but it's like Baby Jessica's Dead or yeah. Baby Jessica missing the one where the yeah. cover is like the milk cart, the milk cart yep. like missing child. Yes. Those were so good. Yes, I read those too. <laughs> like, what was going on with us where we were just like we are taking it upon ourselves to like go on an emotional suicide mission or, like, emotional terrorism. It's like the early indicator of being into true crime where, like, these horrible, trashy, like, angst-ridden, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what what do you think looking back? We can't really know what we were thinking at the time, but looking back, 
you see like tween Jolanta, it's like, what's going on with this girl that she's going after, you know, baby, what's her Jessica's missing. There's like cancer camps and by deaf comparison, like we've lived through now, there's such a resurgence of YA now, but it's yeah, so, yeah. it's so tame in a, or like at least in better taste than the stuff that was YA when we I were feel there. Like it's tackling like way bigger <laughs> issues this time around. This time around <laughs> it's tackling bigger issues, but with people who have actually thought about consequences and like what tweens okay. and like good taste and feelings, whereas People were just white writing wildly, it seemed like in the nineties and early aughts about like, yeah, we're just gonna have a series where the main cancer is character is cancer and it's like I don't it feels like it's like emotional porn or something. It's like it's a lifetime like, I mean it reminds me of, I mean grow up, so I'm gonna read about like fucking cancer camp. Like I don't know. It's just like I know life's hard and like here's how hard it is. Like even my novels are about like fires like I have no idea I mean yeah but it's like you can't stay away from them there's something going on with that where it's like it's like a lifetime movie which I don't know if you ever grew up watching lifetime movies but totally those are way outside the bounds of reality you know sitting down like this stuff is beyond like mother may I sleep with danger which is a classic starring Tori Spelling that's a Tori Spelling one Yeah. yeah But, I mean, uh, you know, what is driving this desire to put yourself through something like this? And, and as a teenage girl thinking, like, I, not I'm so brave, but, like, my life is, like you're saying, so crazy that even in my free time, I have to take on these, like, very emotional books. Yeah, I have no clue. <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah. I guess I think it's, like, I feel like it must come from an urge to, like, just grow up. I don't know. And just, exp- <laughs> like see how much you can handle like i don't know it's yeah. like emotional chicken or something <laughs> yeah it's wild i mean and how long did that last for you that you were going on a deep dive into those books uh i would say until like high school start like until i was like what 14 or 15 mm. probably and were you yeah. uh were you a 14 or 15 year old who was seeking out drama or you you needed like an a, a venue to deal with dramatic oh, totally. feelings i was like a theater kid like just i felt big i felt hard you know yeah yeah so you're a teen as a teen you're like a theater student you're oh, yeah. so you're thinking about like roles you know harsh roles you might play on stage tough storylines all that yeah, kind of high drama. Lots of feelings, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and is that when, is that like dominating your reading life at that point? Is that the kind of stuff that you're I reading? I I kind of switched to memoirs, I felt, hmm. I feel like. That's when I got, um, I was obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with Katherine Hepburn when hmm. I was a kid. And I like still am. She was like, she was just my total role model, so I read, she wrote two books, like, one big biography called Me, yep. and then the other one, I forget the exact title, but it's about the making of the African Queen, and it's something about, like, how I went to Africa with Bogey and Bacall and nearly lost my mind, like, it's just something fabulous. Oh, yeah. I've, it's, yeah. yeah. I've, I've yeah. read those, I've read those books, and it's... Oh, my God, they're so weird and good. Yes, and they are. Full writer, like... It's so good. It's so good. All right, just to give you, like, background, I'm from – I was born in Hartford, Connecticut, which is where Catherine oh, Hepburn grew up. Right. Oh, so, yeah. oh I, I'm aware. Oh, yeah. You've read the books. You know the tales. So I yeah. guess I just drew, was gravitated to those books because I thought, oh, she grew up around here. Let me right. see what she's about. And I also love the golden age of Hollywood, all of that drama oh, and right. all of it. Yeah. So, But that book, for anyone who hasn't read it, is completely over the top and just, like – it is so amazing and fabulous. It's just beyond. It is the it, the book ends if I remember this right. And correct me if I'm wrong. The book ends with a letter to Spencer Tracy. Oh yeah, yes. Like this is how empowered she felt, or she was like, I'm ending this book with a letter to Spencer Tracy. No apologies. Like, hey, his widow. Like, <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> mic drop. Oh yeah. She's like, I couldn't go to the funeral, but I sat in the car and. Anyway, right. who cares? She can have him at the funeral. I had him when he was alive. It was like, 
This is some bitter, dark stuff. This is some extremely dark stuff. For our chapters listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. If you visit audible.com and sign up for a free 30-day trial, you can download an audiobook for free. Why not check out Kate Remembered by Scott Berg? As you've heard, both Jolenta and I can attest to the power of reading Katherine Hepburn's memoirs. This memoir, penned by a friend of the late great Kate, regals their friendship over the last decades of her life. Narrated by Tony Goldwyn of Scandal fame and himself of elite Hollywood lineage, this book sounds like a great way to remember an actress who was so much more than Woman of the Year. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash chapters. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash chapters for your free audiobook. Now let's get back to the show. I was very into that. Yeah. Uh, and that led to like, um, just sort of like, not, not your generic, but like, uh, you know, your early 2000s, like David Sedaris, David Rakoff, Sarah Vowell, just like narrative, biographical or you know those sort of hmm. this American life story-esque books I think you know those books were all those authors were all important to me too and I'm wondering if it's because I really wanted to think about my own life as a story at that time like I sort oh, of slip into yeah. thinking about yourself as a character in your own story and those people were also unabashedly doing that right and like just so gifted in ways that like teenage me wasn't but <laughs> what were you trying? Were you trying to be oh, a writer was, or what were you doing? I took autobiography class in high school. Like really I was all about it. Oh yeah. So what kinds of things are you writing about in an autobiography class I in high school? All I wrote about was getting drunk and going to the all ages gay club <laughs> with my friends. I think, and I would just like write different like artsy versions of it. But like in the end, I just wrote about like, like I get drunk and like, smoke out of the window of my friend's car and like no one understands me like swirling lights there did it <laughs> like just gibberish that I thought was incredibly profound at the time <laughs> but that's amazing that you were like that self-aware uh to be trying to make yourself it may be self-obsessed i don't know but yeah, it's a fine i don't know if i would say self-aware but yeah so i'm like really into myself yeah i mean i kind of feel bad for teens today because they're sort of dinged as being the generation defined by the selfie and they're so self-absorbed but teens by definition have always been that way that's what we're about when we're teenagers just now it's super super public <laughs> lucky for us like you know you can't find my old live journal i don't think like <laughs> oh i know that's the greatest blessing in the world that we missed just, just missed yeah, that window the same age <laughs> so yeah we yeah we missed it yeah thank god i think that all the time if i had had Twitter even as a high school student. No, 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 no. I would be dead. I wouldn't have a job. Like I don't <laughs> I think a great side business for myself would be or if someone else I almost don't want to give this idea away, but somebody starts a business where you hire someone, you pay put them on retainer to watch your social media. And yeah. if they see that you're taking a turn, they put they you in a kind of blackout. They just say yeah. like we're shutting this all down until That'd be super smart until you seem to write yourself because you've just said some very unsettling things about Not okay. Dolly Parton or whatever it is. And we're shutting this all down. God, that's so amazing. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know, but, <laughs> but it's amazing that we also kind of grew up at this time when people like David Sedaris could be writing about seemingly mundane things like just your family dynamics and yeah. achieve some kind of renown for that through, you know, great talent and effort, but not through serving in the highest office or having some being Catherine Hepburn, but just being a right. so-called ordinary By person. Just being able to observe in a way that we find like fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like that drives your writing life. You're trying to write autobiographically, but also it might drive, it's driving your reading life too. And the fantasies are fueling each other. Like if you keep reading memoirs, you keep thinking your life is a story. Like, I would say you just keep writing that in your head. Like it's. Uh. So what other ones were you reading in that time? Um, memoirs that made an impact? 
I'm trying to think. Oh, I also really loved, um, like, Running With Scissors. Like, another one. (laughs) The one he wrote, I think, Dry. The one he wrote about getting sober, like, I loved as, as, like, a younger woman. Um, But, yeah, I would say it's, like, very much in the same, all in the same ilk. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and are you reading it all thinking about what you want to be? Like, sort of, I know it's a juvenile question to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because I still yeah. am thinking about that question, and I'm 31 years old. But yeah, no, are you I reading was, in an aspirational way? Yeah, I was reading these books to, like, take notes about, like, when I wrote my version of me. Like, that was it. Like, I was getting ready. <laughs> You want to know something really embarrassing. One time at theater camp when I was, like, in eighth grade, so how old are you, 13, I did a monologue that was the opening letter she, Catherine Hepburn writes to herself about aging in me. And I did this as a 13-year-old being like, you're getting long in the tooth, but, like, blah, blah, blah. And it was just this excerpt from this book written by an 80-year-old. But I was, like, wow. very trying to live it. <laughs> That's what I was about. That's amazing. How did that go over? Like, I can't even uh, imagine. Uh, really brave. <laughs> so brave. So yeah. brave. I think basically around that time as well, I started reading lots of plays because I was very into theater. And it started, mm. you know, I would read... Lots of, like, Tennessee Williams, Eugene O'Neill, Shakespeare, a lot of the sort of canon, especially things that Catherine Hepburn had done. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Of course. So I also read a lot of plays, which is, like, it's not the best reading, but... Yeah, I've had um, uh, another actress on the show who said that when she was in high school reading plays, that reading plays is very different from reading them in rehearsal when you're on stage and you're actually yeah, moving so. around. So is that an experience that you had too? Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to read it for the story. It does let you fill in more things, which I like sometimes just as an exercise of, you know, when you only have the dialogue and barely any description, it's fun to sort of put it together in your head versus doing it. You're doing work and you're sort of doing detective work and you're, uh, when you're reading a script for, for, for acting purposes, you, you kind of hone in on just your storyline and just sort of trying to discover those nuances and that arc hmm. so you can do your job as like a puzzle piece versus taking in the whole, at least in my experience. No, oh, yeah. And so are you, when you're just reading plays for the story, what plays are making an impact on you? I mean, my favorite play to read is, like, by far Angels in America. Because that, I think that also, to me, I feel like it reads like a novel, sort of. Mm -hmm. And there's so much history and so much to learn about, you know, the world and art history and Soviet (laughs) history, like, all wrapped up in this fascinating dialogue that, Mm -hmm. you know, gets super surreal and super real. Um, I could read that, like, a thousand times over. And when did you read that for the first time? Oof, I'm trying to think. I'm not sure if it was in high school or college. Hmm. Probably, probably like the beginning of college or end of high school. I read it for a class, and then I ended up. Uh, my college ended up doing it later on, and I was in it, and it was. Oh just, wow! It was, it was a college production, but. <laughs> I played Ethel Rosenberg because I look Jewish. <laughs> wow, but, yeah, cast that's you. by far my favorite read. That yeah. and I really think I like reading uh, Eugene O'Neill. It's fun to read because it's again it does it goes between realism and a little heightened realism that's that somehow translates well when you read it. I feel like. Hmm. So at that point, have you shifted towards performing and less writing, or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was, like, a very hardcore theater kid in college. Hmm. Is that what you studied? Yeah, yeah. I studied uh, performing arts and social justice. So a lot of sort of a theater history and how uh, the history of art movements coincides with 
the history of social movements and, you know, why do we make the art we make when we make it kind Mm. of stuff. So a lot of analysis, a lot of reading and analyzing and. Yeah. I mean, is the reading that you're doing in school, has that felt like a painful experience or is it something like, is the pleasure you take in reading for pleasure versus work or school different? For me, it kind of has to be the, the same or I can't do it. Like, that's why I ended up studying what I studied because I, I was so bad at being told to read something I like couldn't be passionate about that I felt like the two always had to go hand in hand. <laughs> so like, are you like the kid in school who if you were assigned like a classic novel and it just didn't, it wasn't happening? I'm like, I didn't finish it. And like, <laughs> I get a C on that paper, but the other one I get an A plus on. Like it just depended yeah. on how I felt. Yeah. What was the yeah. most overrated classic book that you were ever assigned? Uh, Walden. Is that bad? No, <laughs> I, go for it. My first read, I was like, this guy's a spoiled turd who thinks his shit doesn't stink. <laughs> and like, do I have to listen to him navel gaze about how fucking woke he is for how many pages? Like, yep. that's, I feel like I'm like, oh, of course, like teenage boys jerk off to this and don't feel alone. But like, it's not working for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, nope, I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been to Walden Pond? No, I'm, I'm sure it's beautiful. <laughs> no, I've been. I've been. It's OK. You know, it, yeah. it wasn't a book that really impacted me in a major way, although I know people on this show have spoken oh, I guess in I glowing feel- terms, but. It wasn't one for me, so I totally get what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, I feel broken because I feel so many people <laughs> read it and were like, it blew my mind. I was like, this guy is a douche. Like, oh, I can't, I don't want to hear what he has to say. I don't know. <laughs> Look, it's totally cool. I totally get it. Um, oh. What was the best classic book you ever assigned? Um, I loved, I love The Scarlet Letter. And I also, is one Flower the Cuckoo's Nest classic yet? Sure. I don't know. Yeah, I love those two. And of course, of course I would. It's like the outcast. Like, oh, like yeah, I'm the same. Both of those. It's fun. It's kind of interesting though that you don't like Walden because it's navel gazing, but you love Catherine Hepburn and Memoirs, which is like unavowed navel. So, and I get it. Like, I'm the same way. So it's like there's um. I don't know. I need a bit of a wink in it or something. And I don't know if Catherine Hepburn did that. Or I say, like, I just need more camp, I feel like, in addition to my navel gazing. Otherwise, like, it can't be too sincere. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's about a level of performance, too. I think Catherine Hepburn was always aware that she was performing a role of Catherine Hepburn. Right. Whereas Thoreau would probably reject the notion of performance as an unneeded luxury or something like that. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. I guess it's how seriously you take yourself, which I feel (laughs) like, you know, any of these, you know, Augustine Burroughs, David Rathgoff, Catherine Hepburn would be like, Oh yeah, I think I'm a crock of shit sometimes. (laughs) Like where Thoreau would be like, no, (laughs) what? No, never. Like I always respect myself. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think it is, yeah, about how seriously you take yourself. And I like how you say you need a wink or something in there, too, because I think for me, that's why I gravitate towards different pop culture figures and authors, too, um, Mm. that they're aware. I mean, they're so beyond, but they're also aware that they're over the top, like Dolly Parton or Cher or something. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Or be like, those women are my goddesses, but also they're the first to tell you, like, they this is a crock of shit and they know what they're doing or you know like i love yeah they're they're so smart about it exactly but there is something they're being smart about and not just yeah so i mean is that informing you at all like you're studying performance and social justice issues and you don't like things that come off performative Mm -hmm. but people who are too authentic like living an authentic life or being super woke seems to be like repugnant to you too. So it's like, where, how is that informing you as a person in your reading life or in your day to day life? How is that informing me as a person? Whoa. I don't know. I don't know. Like, are Um, you worrying at all in your college years, like about being authentic or are you just like trying to figure it out day to day, what you want to do? 
I think I was just doing it day to day. I don't think I was that deep yet to <laughs> to worry about that. I think I knew I I I liked this sort of stuff and like that's all I knew. I don't know. Yeah. No, yeah, totally. So are you thinking at that point that you want to be an actress? Oh yeah, I was I wanted to be like a Shakespearean actor and Oh wow. Sort of, oh yeah. Hmm. Uh but then I was like, oh wait, like I hate this. <laughs> what did you hate about it? Did you hate the actual plays? Or no, actual plays and I love diving into them, but um, I just feel like everything gets a little precious, and uh, I also, I'm not very patient, and I just, I like uh, talking to an audience the way I want to. I don't know. I feel mm-hmm. like all the things that made me go into stand-up, like, are, are probably not good traits about myself. But like, What does that I love, mean? Like, I love instant gratification. I don't want to wait around for everyone to do their process. Like, I just want to <laughs> go and see if I can get some laughs and, like, connect to someone and, like... It'll be partially planned, and we might just see what comes out of my mouth, and, like, that'll be great. Wasn't it Carrie Fisher who said instant gratification can't come quickly enough or something like yeah. that? Yeah. I, yeah, I I totally feel her. So it's kind of like, I mean, Shakespeare is a very funny writer, not often spoken of that way, but he's, oh, his totally. works are very funny, but it's not necessarily about the work, the author's work, it's about a collective experience versus like maybe an individual experience. And I think I focus more on, I'm so preoccupied with what you want the audience to get away from this situation or what you, what conversation you want to start. I just want to just get out there and and talk, I guess. And Mm. so I feel like that's probably what makes me a bad actor that, (laughs) you know, I'm so preoccupied with the finished product and what we're saying and why we're saying it that I don't care about like your journey to find your character. Like I just yeah. want to get conversation about the message and like make sure everyone like heard the message. So when did you start performing then? Um, I started doing theater probably around uh, like 12 up through my up through my twenties, <laughs> yeah. So when did you um, start stand up? I started stand up. I started doing storytelling first, like a sort of oh, you know okay. story slam type thing. Yes, I've seen your story, uh, oh. the awkward one. <laughs> I'll put the link up on the website. It's very funny. <laughs> Shout out to my dad. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, when did I start doing? <laughs> I started doing storytelling in like 2011-ish, 12 so probably about like five or six years ago, and that pretty quickly turned into stand-up, because I was like, oh, I only like stories where I make people laugh. That's called being a stand-up. And when you call it stand-up, like, you can lie a little bit, and no one gets pissed off. So, like, perfect. Have you ever told a story about someone when you were in your storytelling phase, and they got mad at you for misrepresenting them or making them look bad? No, but I had a weird thing happen where I did a story. I used to teach, uh, I used to teach kids theater and I did a story about a student of mine who lived in New Jersey and she was a kid, like a little kid. And I used her real name and there was a couple in the audience who were friends with this kid's grandparents who and those grandparents like dropped her off at my class and stuff and I like got outed by about and I mean it was a fine story and stuff but like I just, if that was the only moment where I was like fuck this like could have consequences oh my god like, oh my gosh that these two people fully recognized it that this happened and like totally outed me did the girl find out? Did she come to you and say, like, hey, where's my royalty check? I I, I lied and told them I changed names, but I didn't. They were right, and then I made them feel stupid. Because <laughs> I was so embarrassed and so shocked. I was just like, oh, that's so funny. But, like, that isn't the kid's name. I changed the names of my stories. I was like, no, you're totally right, and this is a crazy question. Oh my god. I was just going to ask what would Catherine Hepburn do, but I feel like that is what she might have done. Just be like, no, you're wrong. She would have probably know. been like, yeah, it is. It is your oh. grand. Yeah. Yeah. It is that yeah. girl. And 
No, yeah. <laughs> Where I was like, no, I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, anyway, that was the only thing that's had what I felt like was the consequence. I've made my husband uncomfortable like a billion <laughs> times, but he married me. So yeah, I, I feel like that's part of it. He signed on for that. Yeah. And, you know, he always says nothing's off limits until I go too far and we learn a limit, you know. That's right. You don't know where the boundary is until you find it, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so can you remember the first time you did stand up? Was that different than storytelling, like different kind of nerves or? I don't, I can't even remember. Is that bad? No. I feel like it, I probably told a story that I knew would get a lot of laughs. And that was my way of sort of sneaking in to stand up without mm-hmm. having to, to feel like it was the sort of big gesture. Yeah. Of just, this was sort of an extension of what I'm already doing, and now I can, you know, hmm. mess around with it. Yeah, I don't even remember. It was probably an open mic somewhere, but I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> I'm wondering if there's anything you can read that would prepare you to be a stand-up comedian, or if there's any... Do you like reading things by other stand-up comedians? Like, is that even entertaining to you, or does it not interest you? It doesn't interest me a ton, mostly because I have found if it's a comedian I love, I often know their material in the book Hmm. and I prefer hearing them say it. And like, there are some fun new nuances that can only be found in writing, but you know, a lot of Amy Schumer's sets were turned into stories for her book, which are great, but it's like, Oh, like I just kind of wanted some new entertaining stuff, but like I already saw this. Hmm. Are there people who's, like comedy you prefer to read on the page than hear performed? That's a good question. I was going to say Mindy Kaling, but I feel like that's cheating because she's, I'm, she's not like a big stand up kind of comedian. Mm-hmm. She, you know, writes scripts and stuff, but I really like her writing and her perspective. Um, like almost more than I thought I did, would, if that's really? like, bitchy thing to say or no not. why did you think you wouldn't like, like it like i underestimated her you know she writes the office and it's cute and funny and she probably writes her like character who's super silly and you know but she you know has some legit like feisty feminist thoughts and is very good at uh putting them in the page hmm. yeah uh i hadn't thought about her in that way but i'll have to revisit her books now i haven't read the second one i've only read the first I haven't one either yeah. maybe i don't know maybe <laughs> Yeah, but I, I find that too. I really like Tina Fey's book, but also like it was very typical Tina Fey. I don't know. So I sort of stay away from it in case I get disappointed because I know I like these people as comedians. I'm like, that's good enough for me sometimes. <laughs> hmm. Well, it's interesting to think then that you're in a profession that maybe reading doesn't necessarily prepare you for reading other people's work or right. it's something that you just have to take in in person and then process it and perform it yourself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So what yeah. is your reading life like in re- more recent years? So you graduate college, you go yeah. into storytelling and you're teaching theater and so lots and lots of plays still, but then that now it's just self-help all the time. <laughs> so how did that, can we talk about that? How did that get okay. started? Yeah. How where did, did, get where started? did self-help like come into um, your life? When did that happen? I was working, I started working for a news show in 2012, uh, and they get tons and tons of books sent to them all the time. Lots of, you know, pop science books, every book you can imagine, because they want the authors to be interviewed, the books to get plugged on this news show. Um, And we would get tons of self-help books that were always a joke, because when when have you heard a self-help author featured on a national news radio show? Like, never. But they try anyway. And I was the administrator, so I would collect up all the books we didn't want and put them in the donate pile. And, you know, people would take them and give them to relatives as gifts. And I would just, like, take some self-help books once in a while. And then there was a fire in my apartment building. And I was homeless for a year. Like, just oh sort my of gosh. different sublets with my husband waiting for this never-ending reconstruction. Uh, and then I started getting crazy about the self-help books because I was like, I'm not going to focus on my life and just read about this, like, 
gastrointestinal diet and then also read about like how to clean my apartment once I have a snack and just read and read and read and never live. Whoa. So you had never really been into self-help then before this crazy year of your life. But then I was just like, I'm just going to change everything about my life through books. Like, it'll be great. (laughs) And was that like a conscious thing you did? Or were you just like, my life is a garbage fire, unfortunate pun, but, you know, yeah. Um, No, and I think it started as just like, oh, this could be interesting. Maybe I could learn from this. I was also engaged. So it was like, oh, this is sort of a diet lifestyle book. Sure. And then it just sort of kept fire. What were some ones from that year that you remember did any of them like positively change your life? Like, have you kept any of the things that you learned? The only thing that I can think of off the top of my head is there was this book called the Swift diet or something. It was by, and her last name was Swift. I think it was like Catherine Swift. I'm making this up. I don't know her first name. Um, and it was just about like healthy gut enzymes and stuff or whatever. And it was sort of boring, but there was a really good, uh, turkey soup recipe in it that I still make. But like, other than that, I don't even know. There was some, like, not sweating small stuff versions of things and that, but this is the one. That's the only thing I've Turkey stuck. soup. That is a good soup recipe. That's amazing. So uh, you're reading this year long of self-help books. How does this become by the book? Um, at the time, I was working with my friend Kristen, um, and we had sort of taught. We'd always wanted to do a podcast together but like our work's insane. And then we'd started joking about all these self-help books and we should do this show where we live by them. And then we just forgot about it for years. Cause we were like, no, we have jobs and lives. and like, what are we thinking? Uh, and then a, about a year ago, she uh, started working at, at Panoply where who produces our show and they were having a pitch contest. And she was like, remember that old thing? Like we should pitch that. And it, uh, it got selected to be one of four that went to pilot and we were lucky enough to be the one of two that uh, got greenlit for a series. That's amazing. So yeah, it started as this sort of weird joke and then it turned into like my job. (laughs) That's so cool though. And what has that been like for you to do? You're just coming to the end of your first season. right? Right. It's been a lot more than I anticipated. You know, reading a self help book and actually living by it is, is like, a much bigger undertaking than I anticipated. It sounded fun at the time, but it's, it's just so much work. Like each one requires you to totally upheave your life in these ways you have, would have never thought about, whether it's money, diet, how you have your clothes arranged. It's just, you know, everything can be helped and it takes the, you know, you make these big sort of shifts in how you view the world with each book. It's like, it's a lot, but it's fun. Yeah. I mean, and it is amazing how the books have seemed to impact very different parts of your life. So you did the um, Art of Tidying Up book. I forget the title off the top of my head, but that's right. And that book would be my nightmare. uh, But I don't think I could hold things in my apartment and say, does this bring me joy and stick to the nothing on your kitchen cabinet counter world. But also, like, right. so it's like you're doing things that affect, you know, your diet, your financial life, how you arrange your space. But you're also doing it with your husband because he, your spouses right. appear yeah. on the show as part of this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what's that like? What's that like for you day to day? I mean, can you pick one of the books you did this season and maybe talk about, like, the things you didn't foresee happening um, in terms of how it affects your life when you're living these books? I mean, this is going to be corny, but the tidying up book really, really kind of changed my life. Just my apartment is like, I like my apartment so much more than I knew I could. I didn't know I did. I didn't dislike it. But now I'm like, this is the best place ever. (laughs) Um, And it also just opened up a lot of dialogue of, you know, things that my husband and I hadn't really talked about that like husband and wife should talk about. But when do you sit down and talk about, you know, your cleanliness preferences? But it it gave us this weird opportunity to sort of look at our living space differently and and, uh, just take more ownership of our space and our belongings in this weird way that, like, deepened our relationship, as corny as that sounds. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, have you kept up with 
do you, when you finish a book, when you're done with two weeks, do you mostly like do some kind of audit where you say like, I'll keep this, but not this? Right. I would, th- I, things linger that I like don't, I always tell myself I don't have to keep anything just yeah. for some peace of mind. <laughs> but I find with each book, there's usually a few things that linger. Some things are really stupid, but some things Such are, as? Like, I always think now, uh, when we did French Women Don't Get Fat, she says every food you have should be in a different vessel. Like, you know, even if it's just like you have a plate of cheese and crackers, but then, like, you have a little bowl of nuts on the plate. Like, everything's, like, in its own thing. And I always give myself shit when I put, like, popcorn and, you know, some celery sticks in the same bowl. Because, like, you're not supposed to do that. And, like, it's not an actual rule. I just read it in a book once. Like, why? Am I giving myself shit for being, like, not a good French woman because this woman wrote this random rule about putting your food in different places? Well, and it makes me think about, too, kind of, like, the form itself of self-help because here you have, like, weird guilt for a woman you've never even met. But self-help is allegedly, like, based around the fantasy that you're helping yourself and there's no one else involved. Like, the author isn't even there. But really, like, here you are feeling this guilt about breaking a rule. Leasing myself with with her words, not mine. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but some things stick that are good. Where it's like I'm way better about acknowledging when you know a pair of jeans have lived a nice full life and it's time to get rid of them. Like, right. yeah, yeah. So that and that's totally that's totally great. I didn't have that skill before. And it seems like something that happens on some of the episodes is like things will hit you in ways that you don't expect. Like I just listened to your latest episode on men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and you get sort of emotional in a conversation with your husband at one point, seemingly out of left field, and I wonder if, like, that's surprising to you, too, as you're... And we were just, like, a few chapters in, and I just started, like, I I cry, definitely, but I rarely just sort of, like, burst into tears while talking. (laughs) I felt like that book was, like, reading my worst nightmare. (laughs) Wow, in what way? didn't expect you know like I am looking for actual tools to help me communicate with my husband better like sometimes we suck at it we haven't been married very long our first year of marriage he basically was traveling the whole time like we need help talking mm-hmm. uh, and so I was really optimistic and it's such a legendary book you know men are from Mars women are from Venus and then just the second I read it I was like oh it's just a middle aged white dude telling me all of my impulses are garbage and like don't mesh with the needs of men, but men don't have to change. And I do like, and it was, I think it was just out of disappointment more than anything else of just like, I thought this would have answers and it's just more of the same shit women have been fighting against since, you know, the dawn of time. Yeah. And my fear in doing that would be that for those two weeks, like you might inadvertently take in something that's unhealthy Mm -hmm. for you and then not even be aware of that or something. Totally. And I mean, I like to tell myself, even if I, even if that happens in the long run, doing all of these books just helps me figure out myself in ways that I, you know, I just figure out where I draw the line and when something is too much or, or when I'm, you know, buying into some bullshit for no reason. You know, I don't yeah. know. I feel like teaching myself to have my own opinions more where it's like, oh, you can't live by all of these. Like, no matter how many you read and how many rules you imply, like you have to have your own opinions on these things. Yeah, totally. Well, but you know, I started this project genuinely looking for answers and more and more I'm learning like, Oh, it's fine when I feel resistance. I'm like, now I just know that about myself. So I'm wondering in a way then if, you know, reading these self-help books and processing it through this show, is this a kind of autobiographical exercise in a similar or different way than when you're younger writing about yourself? No, is it the same thing? (laughs) No, I'm wondering. I'm wondering. I mean, (laughs) I hope I'm a, I like to think now as opposed to then, I think more about my audience. (laughs) And I hope when I tell stories and when I show something I'm struggling with, even if I do it in a navel gazy way, it's to help someone be like, oh, you're not alone. And like, oh, it's okay to admit, like, you need help communicating with your husband, even though you love the shit out of him. Or like, that you thought the answer would be in a book, and now you just feel stupid and need to cry. Like, yeah. I would say, even if I'm navel gazing, I hope 
I'm, you know, what I'm going through or what I put myself through for no reason resonates with people and just makes them feel understood or gives them some weird nugget of wisdom from a book they would never read. Yeah, something. Yeah, totally. And I think, As like, the- even hearing people talk about the same books on this show, even hearing what everyone, everyone tells a different story about their experience with that same book. And it's interesting how people have responded to me and said like, wow, that really meant a lot to me that that person, you know, was vulnerable about talking about how this book made them think about their marriage or whatever it is. Uh, So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think it does have a far reaching effect, but also like it could be that you're writing your own story in a way, even by the books that you're choosing to read, the things that you're choosing to work on. So, I mean, how do you pick books for this show? It's a mix of a bunch of things, really. I mean, some things, there are just some books that, you know, Kristen or I have always just been really interested in and never read. And we're like, we're just putting it on the list. I don't care. I've always (laughs) wanted to read this. There are ones where, you know, uh, like uh, coming up, we're we're doing a class with the Countess by uh, the Real Housewives, (laughs) uh, Angela Seps. And that came out of many complaints that uh, we curse too much. So we're like, all right, we'll find a book on etiquette and live by it and see what happens, you know? Um, So we try and do a mix of, you know, heavy hitters like The Secret and The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up and just ones people actually want to hear about, ones ones that people have strong feelings about, and then also just ones we're super interested in. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Well, I'm really excited to see where the show goes. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. Yeah. So are you, are you then doing this show? Are you like reading in your private life, non self-help books just to do something different? Are you, I thought I would be, but we're on like a two week hiatus right now. And I just started a book on intuitive eating and we are not doing that for the show, (laughs) but a lot of listeners have recommended it and I am reading it and taking notes for no reason. And I was like, wow, this is what I'm doing in my free time. I'm literally reading a self-help book. But I can't stop. I can't, like, I guess it's good that I somehow made it into a job. <laughs> yeah, that's a great thing. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm super lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hmm. Do you pick up a lot of the books that readers recommend? Or have you found any, like, favorite books that people have recommended to you because of this show? Not yet. Not yet. This is the first book I've picked up based on people's recommendations. Hmm. Um, but I'm super liking it so far. A lot of people have also recommended uh, The Five Love Languages, which is a book I've always been super interested in. So I feel like it's just, it's going to happen more and more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's an interesting book. I've read that I was one. saying it's a good excuse for me. If someone else says it, it's like a better reminder for me. Just for books I've been toying with reading, like the second a listener will say it, I'll be like, all right, it's on the list now. <laughs> well, I think something that's cool about your show, too, is that I think there's been a weird... There are certain genres of books that some readers almost feel embarrassed to say that they enjoy reading. Like, mm-hmm. I've had people on who talk about reading romance novels and really loving romance novels, but feeling right. the shame about admitting that. And self-help yeah. books kind of are like that, too, like in some ways. Totally stigmatized. Yeah, it's like you're the loser on the subway reading, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and Rod Daylight. Like, ew. Yeah, but on some level, it's like, yes, I'm a person who wants to it's work on myself. I yeah, I have thoughts. I want to be a better person. Is this something to be embarrassed about, you know? So I think that's a really cool thing about your show too, that it's hoping to destigmatize that. But yeah, is there, with that said, is there any self-help book that you would be too embarrassed to be seen reading on the subway? Uh, maybe what's the one, what's the one, is it called, is it the game? The one about like, how like basically how to be a douchebag to women if you're a man and like get them to have sex with you i think so that's, that's my abridged um, i think it's called the game that i would be like Ugh. fair enough i agree yeah, yeah. To read that in public but i am intrigued about what it says hmm. but i don't i don't think i could do it in, in the open <laughs> fair enough uh, well, I so appreciate you talking to me. I'm wondering, is there one or two books you would want to recommend just from thinking back now over our whole conversation, all the books that you've read and enjoyed? Are there two books that you think people should pick, check out? Two books. Oh, definitely uh, Six Months to Live. 
definitely check that out. <laughs> Report back to me. I want to know if it still holds up. Um, and uh, what other book? What other book? I don't know. Maybe Catherine Hepburn. Me. I would say just me or the even crazier one about making of African Queen. That one's crazy. There's, yeah. I mean, a lot of just crazy shit with the animals happens in Africa. Yes. Let alone Catherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart. So. Have you read um, Lauren Bacall's autobiographies, by the way? No, I haven't yet. That's you been on my to... list for like two decades at this point. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, well, thank you. I so appreciate that. Thank you. This was so nice. <laughs> I'd like to thank Jolenta for sharing her story with us. I'd also like to thank our technical director, Taylor, for all her help. You can follow us on Instagram at ChaptersPod. There you'll find shelfies submitted by our guests, including Jolenta. You can find us on Twitter at ChaptersPod. You can find me at MaryMahoney123 and Taylor at MJTThePhD. Visit our website, www.chapterspod.com, if you'd like to share your story on chapters. You can also find links to every book mentioned on this and every episode on our website. Follow our page on Facebook, and you can get updates on the show and join conversations about each episode with other listeners. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us in the iTunes store. It really helps listeners find our show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.